Hello, welcome to The Ripple. In today's episode, we will meet Allison Silver Adams. Allison was 28 years old on September 11th, a year into her marriage and coming off the best vacation of her life. Allison's proximity to the World Trade Center is unlike anyone I have met before. She lived one block south of World Trade Center 2, the South Tower, and she was home on that day. This episode goes into specific details about September 11th that may be disturbing to some listeners. Let's hear Allison's story. My husband and I were on the most fantastic vacation we had ever taken, and we were in Costa Rica, and we flew back the evening of the 10th. And ironically, when we were at San Jose Airport, um, there was a gentleman in the security line in front of us who was an American, and they started to search his bag and they pulled out a very large hunting knife from his bag and they took they 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 got very upset as you would expect and the security officers and they took it away and the man became irate and he said but that's my knife i always travel with my knife that's my knife i never go anywhere without it and i turned to my husband i said did you hear what that man just said and then he said again he said i flew here with it You know, as if to say, what's the big deal that I'm flying with a huge knife? I fly with it all the time. And um, that was September 10th. So anyway, we got home late on the 10th. We went to bed. We were very anxious to get into our routine back. We'd been away a while, um, a, a little over a week. And on the 11th, we planned to just jump into everything, get back to work. I woke up early. My husband woke up early. My husband left for work very early, so he was actually already at work when the events unfolded. He worked in World Financial One at the time. I woke up and I am not the best runner, but I woke up and felt like I'd been eating poorly, so I woke up and I was not part of my absolute normal routine, but I went for a run that morning along the water by the towers and I had fully intended to come back up through uh, there were our whole lives. I'm sorry, I left out. We used to live directly behind World Trade Two, directly behind it. So you lived um, just south of World Trade Two. So, so the only building that separated my apartment from World Trade Two was the Deutsche Bank building, the infamous toxic Deutsche Bank building. Our whole lives revolved around the towers. I mean, you that's where you caught your subway to work. That's where you did all your shopping. The pharmacy was there. The bank was there. Um, so I had fully intended after my run to swing by into uh, the World Trade Center to get cash because we had been away and I only had Costa Rican money on me, which wasn't going to get me far. On the run back at the last second, I just felt a lot of pressure to get to work having been gone for so long and decided to forego going to the bank and I would deal with it later. So I ran, I, ran, I came into the apartment and this, I, I, um, it's hard to remember now, I think I blocked a lot out, but I think I lived on the sixth floor. And I got into my apartment and within a matter of moments of entering my apartment, 
the first plane hit the tower. I lived in what I would call the poor man's apartment, the poor man's view of my building. I faced a brick wall. So I could not see what was happening outside, even though it- Did you feel it or hear it? Um, it felt, my apartment rolled. It's the only way to describe it. It was only a 12 story building. And um, I, at that point, had never been in an earthquake. I assumed that felt almost like an earthquake. Um, the noise was so loud and so extreme that immediately your mind, you try to justify it and you try to figure it out. And I was thinking to myself, wow, it's so beautiful. I mean, it was gorgeous. Everyone talks about that day. It was a remarkable day. It was sunny and beautiful out. And I remember thinking, how could that be thunder? So strange. So I turned on the television and the Today Show was on. And immediately in the background of the anchors talking, you see an image of the World Trade Center on fire. And they're talking about how a plane had hit the Trade Center. Like most people at that moment who lived down there, I assumed it was a small Cessna plane. There were so many planes that flew up and down that area on a daily basis that it almost felt like we were kind of waiting for an accident to happen. Um, there was so much air traffic and uh, so I thought how horrible someone lost control and flew into the World Trade Center. It's so awful. But realizing how close I was to the scene, I figured um, I better call my husband who worked at World uh, Financial One, who's my first phone call. And he said, which was a very odd reaction, but he said, uh, oh my gosh, you have to, do you know what's going on? And I said, yes. And he said, you have to run outside, grab the camera, and you have to document it. Um, people need to know what's happening. And I said, honey, it's on the news. I, they're documenting it just fine. And if it's on fire, that means people are dying. And I don't need to be the person to document that. Somebody's already handling that. And then he, uh, he just said, you know, stay put. And that was kind of it. We hung up and, uh, and then I was, oh goodness, my mother watches the Today Show. And everybody again knows how close I live to the World Trade Center. So I phoned home. My mother at the time was living in Illinois and she uh, had stage four cancer. And I called her and I said, uh, hey, I just want to let you know I'm all right. And, um, and I had actually forgotten about the time difference and she hadn't started watching the Today Show. So she said, what are you talking about? And I turned on the Today Show, see the World Trade Center's on fire, but I'm completely fine. And when she turned on the, the news and she saw what was happening, she said, um, you need to leave your apartment right now. You need to go downstairs. Um, I had a doorman building. She said, you need to be with your doorman so people you're accounted for, people know where you are and you should be with a group of people. And I kind of left it that way with her and that everything was fine and uh, I hung up the phone and all I started to think, oddly, realizing that chaos was slowly starting to unfurl around me by watching the news, I still had the, I think I was in shock and I still had this very strong feeling of, I have to get to work, I'm going to get in trouble, I'm going to be late. So having, I had just gone running, so I jumped into the shower. And when I was in the shower, the second plane hit, and that was so much worse than the first.
And when I say my building rolled, it actually, it moved. I felt my building move while I was in the shower. The power went out, the water turned ice cold. You know, when people talk about PTSD, my moments occur in the shower. It's really hard for me for a long time afterwards when I would shower. This, because there were so many sensations, you know, the freezing cold water, the power went out, the sounds of my, you know, building rocking like that. And um, so I came out of the shower. Now my heart was pounding really fast and I couldn't imagine. And at imagine. this point you didn't know that no. you just assumed that another plane had hit. No, I had or did, no you didn't idea. Know. It never would have occurred to me because I thought the first plane that had hit was an accident. So how could there be a second accident? It just never occurred to me. I had no idea what was happening. And, um, and I came out of the shower, my heart was being really fast. And thank God back then I was still a bit of a slob and I had my clothes from the night before from the plane trip just laying on the floor. <laughs> so I quickly put them on and, um, and I, I remember them very clearly, oddly, details, uh, a white short sleeve hoodie and a black light pair of pants and a pair of black sandals. I remember this because those became my only clothes for quite a while. Um, so um, anyway, I threw my clothes on and at the time we had this um, ornery, crazy, 20 pound beast of a cat. And I looked at my cat and I just, I, I mean, I, I, it was this moment of what do I do? Or am I supposed to run? I don't know what's happening because now I've lost power. So I, I don't have access to the news. And before, oh, and, and the cell phones were all jammed. And before I could come up with an idea of what I should be doing, my husband was suddenly banging on our front door, yelling. And I opened the apartment door and he just blurted out, we're under attack, we have to get out of here now. Again, you know, as an American, hearing those words, it just didn't feel real. You know, back then in that time period, someone's just say, we're under attack, what does that mean? You know, we haven't been attacked like that since Pearl Harbor. Like, what, what does that mean, we're under attack? So, my husband, I should say, is, a, is an army veteran. So, he was very hyped up. And uh, he said, uh, you know, let's go, we have to go. And I said, what about the cat? And I started scanning around looking for his carrying case and it wasn't where I thought I left it. And everyone who lives in New York knows when you live in a small apartment, half, more than half your possessions are in storage at any given moment. And I realized, I think the cat's carrying case is in storage. How much, he's 20 pounds. So, um, and he's feisty. And my husband just said, you know, just leave him right now. We'll come back, we'll figure it out. Uh, we have to go now. And so, thank God my purse was in my line of sight, right in front of me. I just grabbed it. We ran out the door, not realizing that we would never really come home again. This started a really interesting chain of events, as you can imagine. Um, we came down the stairs, we entered the lobby. Our doorman was uh, very young. Tommy, I think was his name. And he was panicked. And when you, the lobby faced 
World Trade too and the Deutsche Bank building. So from the lobby, you could see the end of the world. And, um, and my husband, and there were people all milling around the lobby, not knowing what to do. And my husband came down and he said, Tommy, you have to get these people out of here. And he said, well, it's not safe to go outside. And my husband said, it's, this is just the beginning. It's not safe to stay here. You have to get these people out of here now. And everyone was debating about what to do. And he just looked at me and said, we're out of here now. And we walked out and he grabbed me by the hand and he said, don't look down. I had to look down because there were body parts all over our street um, from the plane crash. It's, I, I've lost my, that was another PTSD thing for me was I would have these reoccurring nightmares of wandering around my neighborhood and my home and not recognizing anything and not being able to find my way home. And I still like, I can't even go, I mean it's, I still live downtown but I can't go there physically. I get very um, disoriented. Um, so it's hard for me to recall the streets now even, the way everything was configured. Um, still is. So we got there and so now in full, there's no Deutsche Bank blocking us. We're staring at both towers right in front of us on so fire. So you're walking north right now. We're trying to get north. We're still south and we're less than a block from both towers just looking up at them and there's a police officer standing there again young guy looking completely panic struck him but trying to keep calm and he sees us and he says don't run stay calm don't run don't run stay calm and my husband looks at him and says you don't run i mean are you out of your mind of course i'm gonna run he's like you should be running right now don't stand there you shouldn't be standing there and he grabbed me by the hand and again we realized at that point we were not going to be able to get around the towers. There was just too much fire. Buildings were on fire, cars were on fire. Again, it was the end of the world. And we just couldn't navigate around it. So it was a terrifying proposition for us because back then no one, we fully expected the towers to fall if you saw that moment from what we could see, but we didn't expect them to fall straight down the way that they did, we thought they would Ball, like flop over like dominoes and so going south was a terrifying proposition because there's really nowhere to run if the towers flop over like dominoes and um, but we had no choice so we started to head south and just about them which I had completely forgotten about until yesterday um, my cell phone rang now again anyone who was there that day can tell you you could not get a call out on your cell phone you just got a busy signal all the lines were jammed so it was bizarre to hear a cell phone ringing and then I suddenly realized it was mine and I answered it and I had no idea that this was even happening but my father was flying from Illinois to New York that morning and to LaGuardia Airport for a business trip at which I did not know even realize or maybe had forgotten and he was on the plane going down the runway and then the plane just suddenly stopped as they were sitting there trying to figure out what was going on people's phones on the plane in Illinois started ringing at O'Hare and people were talking about what was happening and again I live right there so our lives revolved around that space so uh, my dad somehow called me and got through and he was kind of he sounded really relaxed and he said uh, 
hey, I just, you know, wanted, I, I heard there's something going on. Because, again, he's not watching the news. I hear there's something going on. Uh, just want to make sure you're okay. And, I mean, it was a ridiculous scenario to be on the phone with my dad, who's like, yeah, I just want to make sure you're okay. And there's his daughter surrounded by <laughs> fire and brimstone and death and destruction. And I'm on the other end of the line going, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's good. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I really can't talk right now. And, um, but I'll call you later. Love you. Bye. And at that moment, it was like night of the living dead. All these people had heard my cell phone ring and came running towards me. People who were bleeding, people who were, came running towards me and said, I have to call my wife or I have to call my, I need your phone. I need your phone. And I, I said, listen, I'm happy to call anyone. I'm happy to give you my phone. It doesn't work. I, my dad somehow got through to me, but I can't call out. So we tried to reach people and of course it didn't, it didn't call, dial out. So then we kept moving. So after that, I'm a pretty practical person. And when we got to this one area where there was a public restroom, I thought to myself, wow, I don't know what's going to unfold today. I don't know if I'm ever going to have a chance to go to the bathroom. There's a bathroom right here, so I probably should take it. Um, so I walked into a pub, which my husband found ridiculous um, as we're running for our lives, that I would stop to use the bathroom. But I, I don't know why in my head I thought that was the smart thing to do. And while I was in this public restroom, which again, I couldn't even tell you where it was, that was when the first tower fell. So all of a sudden and the only way to describe that it felt like the ground was going to open up and swallow us when i was really young uh my dad took me to see jurassic park and i remember the noise that was emitted from the first dinosaur sound in that film um which again was unlike any you know it was sort of an unprecedented you know steven spielberg first time and I remember the sound of that and how it just shook the whole theater and it shook me um, and was terrifying and it was the weirdest thing but the only way to describe it was to say it sounded like a Jurassic Park dinosaur and when I came running out of the bathroom it was complete blackness darkness and my husband was right there thank God and I said what's happening and he said I don't know so we started to move in this darkness Again, the weird things like you remember, I remember thinking, I have asthma, and I remember thinking, this is how I'm going to die, because I am not going to be able to breathe in this. This is how I'm going to go. And right then, there was some guy who must have been delivering linens in the area, and there was a truck right in front of us, and he opened up the back of his truck, and he started shredding the linens and throwing them at the people nearby, and we wrapped our faces in the linens so we could breathe and we kept moving and then we hit what I've later been told was the around the Coast Guard station I could see water and I um, and the, the the dust started to settle where you could start to see and I remember there was this woman who had to be a tourist. She had a thick Southern accent. She was white with blonde hair and she had these two little blonde, beautiful children 
and she said in her calmest voice, okay boys, time to say your Hail Marys. It's time to say your Hail Marys. And the three of them started to pray. And I remember looking at their faces and thinking, oh my God, this is what the end of the world feels like. We're all going to die. And just then, there was some rise from the crowd and there was a scream and a lot of screams that followed and there was total mayhem and all these people started running. You have to understand, I'm not watching the news. I have no idea what's happening. And all these people start running in different directions and people were getting trampled. And I remember seeing this little dog getting stepped on and yelling at the woman saying, pick up your dog, pick up your dog. And people were trampling each other and just them, there was like a fence behind me and again I have no sense geographically of where I am at this point and my husband picked me up and sort of pushed me onto the fence and I was holding onto the fence and there was a heavyset woman in a business suit or business attire and he picked her up and pushed her against the fence and um, the three of us were hanging onto this fence while people just a foot beneath us were trampling each other and scrambling all I was thinking at that moment was, someone must have a gun and they're shooting into the crowd. And again, I'm not watching the news, so I have no idea what's happening. Suddenly that, whatever that was, starts to calm down and there's someone with a radio in the crowd and uh, people start shouting things out. They've hit the Pentagon! And my husband turned to me, I said, did you hear what that guy just said? And, and he said, people are panicking. There's no way they hit the Pentagon. Just don't. And people are just panicked. And then um, the next thing I remember was hearing the sound of a jet and thinking, oh my God, now someone's going to drop bombs on us and here we are, we're trapped. Jason, my husband, turned to me at that point and said, geez, I hope those are ours. The next thing I remember was a, a truck pulling up with big water bottles intended for an office, someone who was making deliveries that morning, and he started rolling the bottles out. And we were all of us were covered in white ash at this point. Everyone started washing from these bottles, their eyes and their nose, our, my nose was filled with broken glass. I had pulverized glass all over my body. It hurt to, to just move. I could feel it. I couldn't even see the glass, but I could feel it everywhere. So we were throwing water on ourselves and then we heard this authoritative voice say, head over the Brooklyn Bridge in the crowd, someone with a megaphone. And again, my husband turned to me and said, if someone thinks I'm walking on a bridge right now, they have another thing coming. Oh, and I left out that in the midst of the chaos during the stampede, when I noticed there was water nearby, I turned to my husband and I said, do you think we would survive if we jumped in the Hudson River and tried to swim to the other side? And he laughed and said, I've spent my whole life in New York. I'm not jumping in the Hudson River. But I was constant. I mean, that's how dire our circumstances felt. I really felt we were going to die and that maybe jumping in the river, even though I'm not a strong swimmer and trying to swim, may be our only chance at survival. 
So we hear this voice, we, we don't go over the bridge, and no one seems to move because everyone's thinking the same thing. Um, and then we hear the voice again in a megaphone say, no, no, actually head north, walk under the FDR and head north. And suddenly all of us, again, like Night of the Living Dead, we're all these zombies, just shell-shocked, covered in white ash. We all started to slowly move. And, um, and it was this odd, very somber march. And we ended up walking through Chinatown, and this is one of those images that I is forever seared in my mind. There had to be thousands of us. I don't know how many, and you had lots of people from Deutsche Bank. I remember seeing their badges. We're all covered in ash. No one's talking and it's a silent march through the center of the road that we were on. And it's probably about 10 o'clock in the morning now, I guess, and Chinatown's just starting to open for business, and you see people, and they're opening their big grates to their stores, and they're hosing the front of the street off, and I don't know if, I, I gather that they had no idea what was going on, because everyone was kind of going about their business, and then they saw us. And I'll just never forget the looks on their faces as we march through the center of the street. And they're holding their hoses or whatever to open their stores for the day. And it was that moment of recognition that something truly catastrophic and horrible had happened, but they didn't know what it was. And I remember them all in silence staring at us, and we in silence walked. And then we hit to we hit about Houston Street on the east side. There was a bodega on the corner, and I just had so I, my nose. I, I had so much had gone up my nose, and uh, my nose was bleeding. And uh, I walked into um, this bodega, and I said, "Do you have a bathroom?" And again, I remember the looks on their faces because, you know, when you're the person covered in ash, you recognize that the people around you are covered in ash, but you don't have a sense of what you look like. And I remember their faces like it was as if a ghost had just walked into the store and they could barely, they didn't speak, they just pointed to a sink. And I cleaned up a bit, I blew my nose, which I needed to just, I had all that debris. And we walked out and then we had just, you know, we were a young couple. We didn't have a lot of money back then, but we had just bought ourselves our first car and we couldn't afford to park it by where we lived. So we were parking it at Pier 40, which was significantly cheaper, which is amazing because everyone who parked by where we lived, their cars were on fire and they were destroyed. So we had this car and we had it parked at Pier 40 and we were on Houston Street. So we decided to walk west all the way to the other side and when we got there it was completely shut down and there was uh, there were fire trucks and all these people there and uh, they said we're not letting cars in or out we've this is a triage center we said oh okay well can we help and then some supervisor some high-ranked person saw us again covered in ash and looking completely shell-shocked he said, you have a car in here? And we said, yeah. And he said, you guys, you can go. I 
I hope you enjoyed the first half of Allison's story. The continuation will be out in a few weeks, so keep your eyes peeled. We always announce new episodes on our Instagram account, at The Ripple Podcast. Huge thanks, as always, to Daniel Broadhurst. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.